0: Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Have you noticed that when you hold someone's hand, there there is a special bonding, isn't there? When a timid boy holds the hand of that blushing girl for the first time. When an elderly couple clasp their wrinkled hands for the last time. When you hold the hands of someone, there is, a, there is a special bonding in that moment. I remember holding my dad's hands for the last time. My dad had... Great hands. I mean they were strong and veinous hands, but they're always so gentle and warm to the touch. And I gotta tell you, my hands look so wimpy in comparison to his. I'm embarrassed. As he lay there in that nursing home and I held his hand for the last time, I'm telling you what, it was for me utterly and utterly beautiful and manly hand, in spite of his weakness. You know what I wish? I wish I could take your hand this morning and I could clasp it to the hand of your Heavenly Father. I mean, I think of that, I think of that famous painting of Michelangelo's that he did upside down. You remember that in the Sistine Chapel in Rome? That moment when, what, what is it? It's the moment of creation. God and Adam. And I look at those fingers about to touch and I find myself wishing that that were me, that God was reaching out to touch me. I mean, what would it be like to hold the hand of God? Have you ever seen a picture of His hand? This morning I want to share with you two of the most powerful portrayals of the hand of God in all of human literature. And coincidentally, they are both seen atop the two most well-known mountains of all time. Summit number one. Here's Here's a picture, by the way, of that summit that we still call Mount Sinai. What did the hand of God look like on Mount Sinai? Take your Bible, please, and go to the second book of the Bible. Go to Exodus, please, for a moment. I want to see the hand of God this morning. Exodus chapter 31. I'll be in the New International Version. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's a there's a New King James Version in the pew rack right in front of you. Go to Exodus 31. And let's pick it up. The last verse, the last line of Exodus 31. Exodus 31, verse 18. When the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, He gave him the two tablets of the testimony. That would be the Ten Commandments, all right? The tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. Now, hold on. Just go to the next chapter. Chapter 32. Drop down to verse 15. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets, verse 16, the tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. Have you ever wondered what that moment must have been like? What did it feel like to see the hand of Almighty God chisel the Ten Commandments on that mountain granite? Those of you that have seen Cecil B. DeMille's classic, The Ten Commandments, I want to refresh your memory because once you see this, you'll never forget it. Here is how his artist portrayal of that Moses and God moment takes place. Watch the big screen. that way? Perhaps. Who knows? But this much we surely know for certain. The only autograph, self-writing, the only autograph of God directly attributable to Him in all of Holy Scripture are these Ten Commandments. God wrote all ten of those commandments with His hand. Now, did He use His index finger? Does He even have an index finger? How should I know? There was only one eyewitness to that moment, and Moses wrote, that God wrote the Ten with His divine finger, which surely must say something about the incontrovertible authority of those Ten Commandments for the entire human race to the end of time. I mean, in the words of ABC News commentator Ted Koppel, Moses did not come down from the mountain with the Ten Suggestions. They are God's Ten Commandments for the happiness and security of every man, woman, and child to inhabit this planet and we ignore them we disobey them to our great loss and harm God says do this and you'll live don't do this and you will die in an age that is identified now by its blatant disregard of the law of God never forget the truth of the first summit the hand of God wrote all ten of the commandments All right, summit number two and what is the truth from that summit It's really a simple one. And the truth is, there really was a hand, a human hand, atop that mountain. Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 1, verse 23. You remember these words, The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Which also means, by the way, that because of that virgin birth, God now has a hand just like ours. Five fingers, five fingernails, four knuckles. Does this count as a knuckle? Five knuckles, just like ours. In fact, take a look at these hands. You may be sitting by one of these hands right now. These are from our campus and our community. Because, come on, folks, when God became one with us, He had hands just like us. His baby hand surely would have looked an awful lot like that one. That could be the hand of Jesus. And when God became a child, His hand surely looked like that, don't you suppose? And when God became a teenager, His hand looked like that. How about that one? And when God became a university student, when God became a young adult, His hand had to have looked something like that. And when God reached His early 30s, His hand then looked like that. And if that hand had been allowed to live on, it would have looked a lot like ours in our 40s. How about the 40s? Not bad. How about the 50s? Not too bad. How about the 60s? And if God had lived long enough to turn 92... He would have had a hand like that. Or if he could have lived to the age of 99, that would have been his hand. But the God who became one with us didn't live long enough, now did he? He lived only long enough to die for us. And what happened to his hand then? Well, that's the tale of the second mountain. Before I show you another video clip, let's look at another word picture or two. This is amazing amazes me. The Old Testament is actually the most graphic place to discover what happened to the hand of God atop that second sacred summit. So we're going to go only to the Old Testament, not the gospel story. I want you to look these up, please. The Psalms. Psalm 22. What happened to the hand of God atop that summit, that second summit? Psalm 22. Psalm 22, drop down to verse 16. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me, and they have pierced my hands and my feet. Ladies and gentlemen, what's going on here? Look at verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, now we know what's going on. The second vignette from the Old Testament. Go to the Gospel prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53. You know that chapter well. Isaiah 53. And when you find Isaiah 53, drop down to verse 5. Isaiah 53, verse 5. But He was pierced. There's that word again. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. Three vignettes from the Old Testament. More dramatic than any of the Gospel story. The hand of God. One more. Let's go to uh, Zechariah. There's a tough book to find. It's next to the last book in the Old Testament. Find Zechariah. Just before Malachi. There is Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 12. Take a look at this picture. Word pictures of the hand of God atop the second summit. Zechariah 12, verse 10. God speaking, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. Now, here it goes. Hold on. They will look on me. The one they have pierced. There it goes for the third time again. The one they have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. What's going on here? Drop down to verse 1 of chapter 13. Just drop your eyes down to verse 1. On that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. There it is, ladies and gentlemen, a fountain for sin being opened up in the pierced hand of God. Mel Gibson, you've heard of him? Mel Gibson powerfully portrays that moment when the fountain is opened up in the hand of God in his the passion of the Christ. If you have young children and you wish them to look down, you can invite them now. I want to want you to watch the big screen. Watch the hand. Watch the hand. Never, never forget that hand. It's the same one that wrote the law. Sinai's finger and Calvary's hand are the same. The hand that wrote in stone was nailed to wood. Very same hand. Which means, hold on, hold on. Which means that the lawgiver atop one mountain became the life giver. Atop the other, the hand that wrote in stone was nailed in wood, which is why I must tell you, it is so utterly sad when some Christians try to play the two mountains against each other by rejecting Sinai in favor of Calvary. But how terribly foolish for on one mountain, God preserves life by giving by the giving of his law and on the other mountain, God preserves law by the giving of his life. You can't separate Sinai and Calvary. And by the way, both mountaintops react to the presence of the Creator in the identical way. Darkness and earthquakes, thunder and lightning, both respond. You can't separate Sinai and Calvary. You can't separate law and life any more than you can separate the right hand from the left hand. Same God, same hands, same truth. The very truth that is the very good news my law-breaking heart needs today. My law-breaking heart, because the lawgiver loved this lawbreaker under the very hand—the same hand that wrote in stone for me and was nailed to wood for me—out of everlasting love for me. That hand is the hand of my Savior. I want you to read the verse now that I began with. Go, go find this one. Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah 49. Look at this line. Isaiah 49, verse 16. See, God says, look, look, look. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands, and your walls are ever before me. Ladies and gentlemen, when you engrave the name of a sinner on your hand... It must be because you love that sinner very, very much. In 1904, a letter was written to a dying woman. It's a very tender letter, and I'm going to put the ending of the letter up on the screen for you. Put your entire trust in Jesus. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He says, I have graven you on the palms of my hands. Marion. if you go before I do, we shall know each other there. Just let the peace of Christ come into your soul. Be true in your trust because He is true to His promise. Lay your poor, nervous hand in His firm hand and let Him hold you and strengthen you, cheer and comfort you. I will now get ready to leave this place. Oh, I wish I were with you in this moment in much love, signed. Hallelujah. Oh, I want to hold that nail-scarred hand in my own. Don't you? Huh? Don't you? Today, I may, and so may you, because, listen, listen, hold on it will be His hand that hands to you the bread and the cup. And when He hands it to you, He will whisper to you, do this in remembrance of Me. And when we do, my friends, when we do that, we take His hand, that nail-scarred hand. This morning, I wish... I wish you would hold that hand just a little longer than you usually do. Just hold that nail-scarred hand. Because have you noticed it's true? When you hold someone's hand, there is a very special bonding in that hand. And so this morning, let us take his hand as we take the bread and the cup and as we take the towel. Same hand, same hand. You remember in that upper room after Jesus had washed 12 pairs of dirty feet, Jesus turned to them and he said, You know what? You call me Lord and Master, and that's what I am to you. If I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. My friends, that is just as much a command as you ought to love your enemies and you ought to do good to those who hate you. Wash one another's feet. And so today, here in our worship, there will be a towel and we will kneel before one another in the posture of Christ and we will be washed. I had a young co-ed, a resident of Lamson Hall, come to me after a house of prayer a few nights ago. And she said, Pastor, I, I really need to be rebaptized." I said, really? She said, yeah, I just feel like I need to make a commitment to Jesus. And I said, "Wait, wait a minute. Have you you've been baptized before? Oh, yes. Have you publicly divorced Christ? Have you declared you are no longer married to Him? She said, well, no, no, it's not that bad. I said, you know what? Then you don't have to have a wedding all over again. You don't have to get remarried. You're still with Him. But this service, I said, oh, I'll be here on October 29. This service, the washing of the feet, is a miniature cleansing just like a baptism. You will be clean. Jesus promised when it's over, you are clean. And so there's some of you perhaps are saying, you know, I'd like to start over. This is perfect. You're being served a home run pitch. You start over today. Let the hands of Jesus wash you through the hands of someone else. So everything's ready downstairs. If you can't get downstairs, we have rooms over here in the nursery. We're ready. Downstairs for the families, for the couples, There's a room for you. He who asks to hold our hand says to us, take this and eat. Drink all of this. And when you do, do this in remembrance of me.
1: As our service comes to a close this morning, I'd like to give you the opportunity. God has done something miraculous, amazing in your life. Something that's unexpected or something that you needed to be, something you needed to have happen that you were expecting. We've celebrated this morning, we've sat at, we've sat at a table and we've shared all that God has done for us, but we wanted to provide one more opportunity for, for you to share verbally. We've got a couple of mics, we'd like to come to where you're at, so if you, if you have something briefly you'd like to share this morning, we'd like to give you that opportunity while we're still here. I had something interesting that happened to me this week on Monday. Uh, I'm sure there's a few of you here that's experienced this same thing, you know, driving down the road going a little too fast. And I got a speeding ticket for going 45 and a 40. And, you know, five miles over, I didn't think that was too bad. But anyway, when I, asked, when I called to see how much the fine was, they said $105, and I'm like, Whoa. It's a little bad worse than I thought, so i uh, i uh, I went to the court because I really didn't want to pay that money, so when I got there, of course you know he I still got the you know I still told I was supposed to pay, and uh, he handed me this little slip of paper and to go down and pay for it but I uh, before I went to the hearing, I, you know, I prayed that if God would somehow get me out of this, I would buy two more cases of these books called Beyond the Grave. It's it's the sequel to the passion of love that we passed out last year because of the passion of Christ. And I didn't see any deliverance because the judge said, you know, you're going to pay this. So I went downstairs to pay it and I was getting my wallet out, handing them the paper. You know, I was just going to pay it because, you know, when something like that happens to you, you just want to get it over with even though it's painful, you know. and uh, But the judge forgot to write down the amount of the fine. So the lady said, you got to go back up there and see him. So I went back up there and I said, you know, well, judge, maybe there was, you know, you made a mistake. You didn't write down the amount. Maybe there was a mistake that, you know, that I was actually speeding in the first place. And uh, maybe you can at least give me, you know, some community service instead. So, since I'm a pastor, I'm going to do a little volunteering in Kalamazoo for either preaching or youth ministry. And uh, I don't have to pay the fine, so that means I've got to honor my commitment to God and buy a couple more cases of books. So, that's my testimony. Thank you.
2: Hi, my name is Milan. Um, I'm a corporator, and we go with um, a couple friends, and uh, it was uh, this week, um, Tuesday, I was with a friend, didn't feel like going out, but she said, come on, you should come, you promised me, and so I said, okay, I'll go out, and it was kind of cold, and we went to St. Joseph, and we were knocking on the doors, and uh, nobody really listened to me, as um, it happens sometimes, but then... Right just before we leave, I, I said, I prayed with this girl. I said, God, please help me to get a four-book set. And I prayed, and we were walking down the street, and sen- suddenly a man came on the street and says, Hey, are you, are you with the megabook program from Andrews? I've been waiting for you for a year and a half. I was the leader about three years ago. And um, I saw a couple of nights ago, but I couldn't see you. So he came and bought four books from me. <laughs> and that's my testimony. And I just, God just showed me how, how how he's working there for us, and I just felt him working, and um, I really cannot explain it to you, but just right away when you pray and when you got your prayer answered in this manner is very encouraging.
3: I go to Andrews here. This is my last year, and um, my testimony is about money too. I grew up in a one-parent home, and we always struggled with finances, and so um, my mom's helping me out the most that she can right now, but I'm working two jobs, and um, and this year I'm a senior, like I said and i have all these miscellaneous fees um they want to get in right before you leave and um clep and classes that i have to pay for and about 800 dollars in extra fees that i wasn't anticipating um and i you know i get real nervous about money and i and last summer i bailed a friend out of jail um spent a considerable amount of money and i forgot about it completely and um this just when i need to be paying this money <laughs> Um he, con- he contacted me. Well, he didn- hasn't contacted me yet, but he told someone um, close that he wants to pay me back. And I was like, pay me back for what? I, I completely forgot about it. And um, and I just want to encourage you to trust in God, um, to really trust in him. Don't say you trust in him and keep on worrying. Um, trust in him and keep your mind focused on him, and he will give you not only perfect peace but everything you need. Give generously, and it will come back to you, not only in the next life, but this life as well. Jesus is not only concerned with getting you to heaven, but to taking care of you while you're here, and he will do it.
4: I have a testimony that I'd like to give, and it's more of a praise and thanksgiving to God for hearing and answering my prayer. I have three sons who were baptized when they were little boys, but as they grew older, they stopped practicing this faith. But I remember I was in a Sabbath school class and the teacher was saying, when you pray for your children, call them by name. Just not say I'm praying for my family, but call them by name. So <coughs> that is good because it gives you the opportunity to pray every day when you remember, when you know you have children who are out there that are not in the faith. So each morning when I pray, I always call my children by name and say, Lord, send you holy angel to guard them today. My son called me this week, and he said to me, you would know what happened. He, he, he has a friend, a couple, <coughs> and they're going through very difficult times, and they were, they're filing a divorce. And uh, the wife, of, uh, you know, wanted to put the husband in prison so bad. He, she just wanted to put him in prison and, and, and keep him there. So, um, he, you know, she he filed some some charges, which my son said were, were not... True, and he was in jail and he asked my son to bail him out (coughs) so my son did bail him out and the wife was so angry so angry that my son went went and bailed her husband out that she went and filed charges he lives in Kentucky she went and filed charges to the court that my son tried to kill her tried to run her run her over with, with his car He said he didn't even see her the day, but apparently he was taking his uh, children to uh, the nursery, and she must have saw uh, him at the gas station, and then she went and filed the charges. Okay, so there my son said he was going about his business, and he saw a sheriff car, and he was wondering, hey, what's his sheriff car doing? He lives in a very nice subdivision. And then he said he saw another car, but they didn't come at his gate. So then as he was driving about his business, the sheriff stopped him and said, could you get out the car, we want to talk to you. He got out and uh, the sheriff said, we have, a report has been filed that you tried to kill kill this lady. So he said, he said, are you serious? And when the sheriff told him what happened, he told the sheriff what happened, you know, they've been having problem, blah, blah, blah. But you know, the good thing about it, and this is why I, I must praise God. The sheriff said, Mr. Jackson, I didn't come up to your gate to talk to you about this. Because, of course, you know, neighbors are there. He's he's the only um, African-American living in that uh, subdivision, and you know people are. Neighbors are there. We didn't come there to serve you. But he said, "We we run a profile on you, and we run a profile on the lady who filed the charges. And I'm very sorry to inconvenience you today, but we realized that she was lying. And, you know, I, my son said, you know, I went to, to, to file, you know, a complaint. But they say we cannot do anything because you, you weren't arrested or anything. But the whole thing is that God is so good that God had protected him because it, it could have been so serious. And, you know, I'm encouraging all the mothers, your parents, really, whose children are not in the faith, that we continue to pray for our children that the Lord would guide and protect them from the evil one.
1: Going to have one more. Uh, testimony and then we will we will carry on this morning God has been real good to me I have my family here my mom and my dad but this morning
0: during the service um, my son was touched he's uh, six years old and through tears he says I love Jesus and that just warms my heart because I love him too And so, with one hand, we take God's hand. That means we have one hand free. And that's why it was a tradition when they celebrated the Paschal Supper of old. Two customs. One, they'd sing a hymn. We're going to sing a hymn in just a moment. But they also received an offering for those in need. And so, we're going to do the same. After we've sung our hymn, there will be ushers at every door of this sanctuary. And if God has blessed you, you're a student faculty member, community member, visitor, it doesn't matter to me. If God has blessed you these last three months and you want to pass that on to somebody else in serious need, because these monies are only for families within the congregation that are in earnest need as well as our ministry in Benton Harbor. If you wish to pass that on, when you go by the usher, just out, freely you have received, freely give as you share out of the fullness of your heart. And now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever. I want to have a children's story for you right now.